Hi, welcome to the GovLab podcast. GovLab is the innovation brand of Deloitte Public Sector. Together with public sector organizations, we try to solve society's most wicked problems through innovation. In this podcast series, we talk to innovators that have the ambition to change their society and make it a bit better place to live in. What drives them? How do they do it? And what can we learn from them? Today we speak with Lucien England. Lucien is an Edge Fellow of Deloitte and a true healthcare innovator. Lucien helps corporates understand and act on the current and future challenges within healthcare and aims to reshape the sector. Lucien has decades of experience within health innovation. As founding father of the well-known Reshape Center for Healthcare Innovation, he has been the advisor to the executive board at Radboud University Medical Center in Nijmegen, the Netherlands, for the last 11 years. Besides that, he also initiated the Health Innovation School, which he built in co-creation with the Dutch Ministry for Health. Hi, welcome, Lucien. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, nice. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about innovation in public sector. Go figure. Uh, and... Uh, Maybe uh, to start with, can you maybe introduce your own experience in uh, public sector innovation? Yeah. So for me, healthcare is mainly public sector. Of course, there's also commercial aspects of it. But from my experience over the course of the last 40 years, it was mainly in public, uh, the public aspects of it. Uh, I've been working in ambulance services, uh, emergency medical services in a uh, academic medical center in Nijmegen, Radboud University Medical Center, created over there a small innovation center, which kind of resides at the intersection of technology at one and then patient empowerment at the other one, uh, but also connected to Singularity University in the US, where we try to depict, identify, and also translate the technologies that will hit your breakfast table in five, 10 or 25 years from now. Okay. Maybe like a first question is that often people think that innovation and public sector don't go well together. What is your experience with that? Ah, talk to Mariana Mazzucato. Uh, Mariana is a professor um, that has written multiple books where she states that the majority of the big innovations in our society didn't come from commercial companies, but from government. We own... We owe the smartphone to public funding for space travel. We owe um, uh, networks to public funding by governments, making it possible that we got that infrastructure. And on top of that, commercial private companies built their innovation. Tesla, of all, was heavily funded at the front end of it, and the government made it possible that Tesla was able to get their feet on the ground and started with it. So, yes, it's often private slash commercial companies, sometimes very small ones, that kind of get this aura of the innovation. But we also have to be mindful of the stakes that governments have put into it, in terms of investments, of making sure that legislation and policies come into place. Uh, And that is often something that, doesn't really get much attention. So for me, it's a hybrid kind of aspect. One doesn't go without the other. And how do you see that regarding healthcare? Because healthcare is one of your specialties. Yeah, well, same. 
Um, again, um, the majority of the funding in terms of even for drugs and, and all other aspects are being funded by governments because they make that research possible and create that funding based on grants that in the end of the day translates into even patents and what have you that commercial companies make money of, which is fine. But again, as you by now kind of discovered, I'm very much in favor as well for the role of governments and the public part of, of the innovation. I, again, I think it's it's two legs of the same body. But do you see then mostly the government as a kind of funding body for that the actual innovation happens within private companies? Or do you also have like, no, I also see examples where actually public sector uh, organizations not only fund it, but also really come up with new great solutions themselves? Well, I like to think about these aspects in terms of an ecosystem. Um, and, and in that ecosystem, everyone has his own place. Uh, and things would not move without one and the other. Um, it, yes, often it started, starts from a government perspective with funding or creating policies to work towards whatever kind of change in society. Uh, and that, that ignites that. Uh, let's also be honest. The number of aspects where the government kind of preluded in front of the market with innovations are not so big. But their role always, at least often, has been very crucial in getting these things up and running. That and I, would be my perspective. And if you look back, like in your, or especially around healthcare medicine, uh -huh. the ecosystem plays an important role. Right. How does it play out at the moment in healthcare? Well, there, there's there's numerous approaches to that. Let's let's take the Netherlands for instance. Uh, over the course of the last six, seven years, the Dutch government with its own Ministry of Health, Welfare and Sports, created this policy that they said, we need to get up and running with the use of technology to do things in a different place, like remote monitoring and giving access to your data as a patient and making it possible that there's interoperability between healthcare organizations itself. I've been around and still globally um, and I'm still very proud of the way and the approach that the Dutch government has taken in that perspective. Now you see that also even corporates, but also big companies, EMR companies and companies that create apps or platforms or what have you, really start to embark on it because now it gets serious. Now the, the groundwork has been done. The, there's a kind of maturity coming up. Um, so I think that's 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 a pathway that has often been taken. And and like how is public and private working together then in this? Because I know that in Reshape Center, which you work with, you you try to connect a lot of those parties. We did. Like, yeah. Is that like is it often successful or are like hiccups that that often occur or what what are your lessons in that field? All of the above. Let's be honest. Innovation is not a guaranteed path. Uh, there's if 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 you if your job is to innovate and you never had bumped your face just flat across the wall or get bruises or scars, that's not innovation. Uh, that that's like process improvement, which is very important, but it's a different topic. And and there's tons of discussions and debate about 
the definition of innovation. For me, it has to be something new. It has not uh, so never been done before. It has to change significantly the way we do things in, into that. That for me would be innovation. And what we've done with the research center that I was able to to to, to create uh, due to the the mandate that I got from the board over there, um, it turned out in the end of the day more like a connectome. I often like to call it, where we were able to sit in that network of industry and pharmaceutical companies and government and 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 professionals and patients and and to create and, and and actually create gatherings as well like the TEDxs that we've been able to put up where people gathered and I think that's the one thing that is often lacking in healthcare is this community aspect and I'm not talking about the community around the patient in like the family but but in in, in healthcare profession it's all silo based. There was a silo for GPs. There's one for the medical specialists, and and oh wow, there's also industry, and that's tough to talk to them because there's legislation, and you know, there's more possible than there is not possible, and from that kind of paradigm, uh, I really think that the community aspect of of healthcare could be better, and that's one of the things that we've done in Nijmegen. From our weekly breakfasts at Wednesday morning at eight, open and free for everyone. Literally, my colleagues would do shopping groceries at Albert Heinz and bring bread rolls and croissants and and God knows what and put them on the table, and everybody could join us. And that's where people often kind of well, they mingled and then they were connected to each other, and then we always wrapped that up at nine. And trust me. Every week at 11 or 12, people still would hang out at the coffee machine talking to each other. And then from that came out projects and even companies. And so I think that community aspect still in terms of the innovation, innovation is always about money. Yes. But I think there's money enough. It's just sometimes strangely um, distributed. It's because the, the innovation that you have to do, the benefit would be in a different place. Uh, but money, I think there's enough. Legislation, up until now, to me, never has been the actual problem. Sometimes temporarily a problem. And then once we mentioned that to the Ministry of Health or the, the health authority, they gradually would change that and made that happen. Uh, then people would say, well, there's a problem about privacy. Sure enough, there's a problem with privacy. We need to be mindful of that. Uh, but in the end of the day, also here, there's more possible than not. A lot of people refer to the GDPR, AVG in the, in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. that it is blocking the possibilities that they have, while the actual ground to create this GDPR was to safely share innovation and data about yourselves. So it now it's kind of been used totally the other way around. So to me, in the end of the day, it's, it's about us. It's about culture. It's about who you know and, and how open you are and... and um, what you often see, it is mainly not about the company. It's like the NS1 person in that company that might be leadership in the board or somebody in innovation or a physician or a nurse or even patients that in a growing aspect and also speed are changing healthcare themselves from outside in. I think there's a great story about these two parents um, uh, from a kid that has diabetes type 1. Both parents, by the way, also have diabetes type 1, and I know the mother very well, Dana Lewis, 
and they have to measure on a daily basis tons of calculations. What did I eat? What am I going to eat? Is there a workout? Is there sports and all other aspects to make sure that this insulin level is, is okay? So they said, why isn't there this closed loop? And they turned to the internet and they've created a artificial pancreas themselves based on open source systems that they connected to each other. And in the end of the day, they got that FDA approved. And now the big corporates say, hey, wait a minute, we can do the same ourselves. And so it's not like they've invented this, but it's more like patients and their surroundings, which we often tend to call the silent army, um, are taking control themselves as well, because that's 2020. You can find all the stuff on the Internet. Uh, you have to be mindful of it, of course, and they've done that, obviously. But it's more like this is this is happening. Do you see that like because the the user is always the center of innovation, right? It should, but especially in healthcare, you see a lot of people that actually not only are using user, they are the patient themselves. So is it also that you see that within healthcare, especially there, people are actually driving innovation yeah. as like as the first like a starter? I would like to agree with you, <clears throat> but I'm not. Uh, the user should be in the center of innovation, but it's not. It's often the professional or it's the company. And, oh, my gosh, we need users. Let's bring in the users, which is often kind of, you know, this song, send in the clowns. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and with patients, this, this was and still is common practice. When I, in 2011, was asked to give a keynote in... In, in Dubai on a conference with hundreds of people in the audience from all kinds of organizations, they, they talked about the patient, again, about the patient and how mobile health, so this is 2011, the next year would be a $7.4 trillion market. I said, oh my gosh, I'm missing out something terribly probably. So I said, so where are the patients? None. So then I thought there must have been professionals in the audience, none. I literally found during lunch a dentist from India that was at the wrong conference. <laughs> I still, still, still keep his, his business card because he was kind enough to sit out during my keynote. But on my flight back, I created this logo, which is called Patients Included. And I promised myself never to go speak at a conference where patients were not embedded in the programming or in the committee or at least be able to, for free, get interested in the conference. Fast forward 2019, 2020, this still is not common practice. More and more it is, more and more industries, organizations and institutes know about the principles of human-centered design at one end yep. and also need to be mindful of the systems design as well. So although it started with a bit like tokenism in the early days, like back in the days with the Wild West movies, somebody would say, so go get an Indian, because otherwise it wouldn't be a Western. Uh, we now see that this is becoming more and more standard procedure, but still not everywhere. There still is a lot of work to do. One example of it, your data as a patient in the perspective of many healthcare professionals is their IP. And you're granted access to what they have about you. This is 20. So this would be the same that you go into a car mechanic kind of thing. And, and also they would try all kinds of stuff and you don't know what's happened and you don't get the invoice and they're so it's fine right now and you're in the blind. That's strange. 
Um, and, and, and that still is still is the case. Do, do you then also see like that there is uh, a difference in the success of innovation there where the user Absolutely. is in place and there where not? Absolutely. So what we've done in Runbout, uh, um, I think it was kind of three stages kind of things. At first, and certainly in academic medical centers, people tended to know what was good for the patient. And so they, they innovated on behalf of the patient. So what we've done is that we brought the patient in, literally, patient, family, and involved. Great discussions, could talk for hours about, examples about that. So from innovating for patients, it was to innovate with patients. Now we see a migration also worldwide at, at the places that do get it, that they have innovate, uh, that they have patients innovate themselves. They, the professionals and industry stepping aside, putting tools on the table, metaphorically speaking, and say, let's see what happens. And we will make it possible, whatever you need that needs to be done. So that is it. That's a total one, 180 flip around, I think. And, and let's all be honest, that doesn't work always. Sometimes you need to have this authority and you have to study for 17 years, become a specialist and done tons of research. So like in everything in, in life, it's about the mixture. Um, and that's something that I've seen changing in the past, at least last 12 years, also during my tenure at Radboud, that gradually this changes. And also the things that we were talking and bragging about like six, seven years ago, where people would say, you're nuts, you can buy them. It's becoming standard practice. And I always like to refer, I don't own any shares of Apple, but with, but with the Apple Watch, the Apple Watch with the first ones, I think it was Series 3 with the EKG in it, is the first medical device, medical approved device, that sells over the counter without the prescription of a professional. That's an historic device. And now you see all kinds of different aspects coming out of that, not due to Apple, but it's more like that's one of the, I think in 20 years from now, we would look back and would say that's around that moment in time in history, that's where things started to change really. And that's where we, you know, the Gartner hype cycle, we come out of that, throw of disillusions and gradually get into that plateau, I think. If you look back on like the, the innovations you were, you're involved in yourself, uh -huh. can you share maybe like what was your, what is your biggest success? And maybe also what was your biggest like failure or bump that you actually run into? Wow. Um, tough choice. Success, I always like to refer to one of the first things that we've done that opened our own eyes. Uh, back in 2010, um, the professor and the head of the medical oncology department came to me because she was creating a outpatient clinic for AAS, which is adolescent and young adults, kids, adolescents in the age of 18 to 35, uh, living with cancer, actually too old for children's oncology and too young for the grown-up oncology with different problems and mindsets and issues. And she wanted to create something for them. And she created an outpatient clinic with a different approach for them. And she said, these guys and girls need something digitally. So I need you to build a platform for me. I said, that's fine. Let's do it. Let me talk to those guys and girls and see what they need. No, 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 that's not needed. She said, I know what they want. Said, nope, that's, that's a no-go area. And we kind of struggled and had some fight uh, in the good sense of the word of it. And in the end of the day, she allowed that we would start talking to, I think, like 12 or 15 
um, uh, uh, ayahs and totally different questions arose from those discussions that we built in the end of the day. And that was one of the instances where, together with one of my colleagues, which I named the chief listening officer, in terms of listening to what patients actually need, not from a medical perspective. Corinne Janssen is her name. She did a terrible, great job, in, a, a perfect job in that. Um, and, and luxated all these aspects. So I, I still like to refer to that first moment that in an instant, in the blink of an eye, opened our eyes ourselves. And with that, we were able to transform that within Rodbot and also in other places. So I think that I think that one counts as success. It does. Yeah. And when you look to your failure, or you didn't have any? Uh, well, <laughs> you got a minute? <laughs> no. Uh, again, I could name a lot of them. Maybe this is, was also a failure that it took us so long ourselves to get this up and running. But again, failure as in more like a bump. We've created six, seven years ago a change of policy, legislation, and also payment systems in the, in, in, in the Dutch system for video consultation for patients. So you no longer had to go to the physicians or to the nurse's office, and they also would be re reimbursed when you had video calls. Like even then, like six years ago, Skype was common between family, friends, and colleagues, and even though not in healthcare for patients visiting their professional So we've changed that. It never took off. And it still doesn't. And it's, so it's not about legislation, because that's in place. It's not about money. That's in place. It's not about patients do not want it. It's about the culture. And it's about how still, often like to refer to the Copernican moment for that, like Copernic in the mid-1500s proved that the sun was not circling the earth, but it was the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what we what that we're in the midst of now. Now, still, for the majority of it, the patient circles the professional. And with all the technology now, that is going to flip, where it also can be that the professional will circle the patient, family and informal care, with technological means, for instance, when it's needed and when the patient wants it. And if he doesn't want it, there's still a front door uh, that people could come into. But you, you refer to to culture? Is that like yeah. the culture of the medical world or is it the culture of us as being human beings and used to the fact that if you are ill, you, you go to the doctor, which is a physical visit somewhere mm -hmm. to the doctor? Doctor's well, I, I think it's both, but it's more like in the, it's not the medical field because that's only that's only one part of healthcare. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in healthcare. It's less in society. Uh, one of these examples, again, these, these ayahs that they said we had to, based on the protocol, every six weeks we have to show up for a consultation. And that would go like, so how are you doing? And I would say, I'm fine, thank you. And then we'll go out. And again, this is like making a caricature of it, but that's the essence of it. While these youngsters said to us, but last week I needed her for an whole hour, and I wasn't able to. So... For me, it's a hybrid model. Uh, society is changing, people accepting this. And for low thresholds, low invasive aspects, routine kind of stuff that healthcare still is based on as well, people accept that. That's, that I don't think that that is an issue. And we'll now see very soon changes also in different players, like in 
The US Walmart Health has just opened up in Dallas, 10,000 square feet. Primary care, um, uh, uh, pharmacist, um, um, hearing uh, uh, problem, uh, problems, opticians, everything in it. And it's a Walmart. And you, there's lab, uh, radiology is in it, lab, laboratories in it, so you would get a primary care consultation for 25 bucks and your blood work for 35 and radiology for 45, whatever. So that is going to change that, that threshold and that barrier. And that, that'll lower the barrier in the end of the day. And by the way, the whole structure and flow, and I know for you, Daniel, that, 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 that is of your interest, was been created by two former Disney Imagineers. They said, we, we know the quality has to be damn good, and it is, but the experience should be even better. And that's exactly what, what they've done. And, and now they will open up, I, I don't know how many in, in the US in the next 18 months, I think. And how long do you think that that will take, for example, to come to the Netherlands? So I kind of live with this seven year kind of window in almost everything. I now see, like I just said, things that we've bragged about six, seven years ago becoming tangible. I see that things that are very tough takes like six, six or seven years to get mature enough. Um, although I think that things from, for instance, the US and not everything is good enough, of course, and, and, and the Netherlands is different. I don't think it will take like six, seven years. I, I, I would reckon that this within the next four or five years will become at least touchable, maybe not mainstream, uh, because also the system is a bit different. But I also see urge and pressure on the healthcare system that we need to have different approaches, which is more cross-industry. And that's also why we from the Center for the Edge collaborate with financial institutions like banks and healthcare insurance companies. Because we know there's a strong correlation, just to name one, between your financial debt and your healthcare consumption. There's, there's tons of evidence proven that if we were able to, to lower your financial debt, we would lower your healthcare consumption in some parts of that. And that's also why we now work with groceries and supermarkets to figure out how could we change lifestyle also from that perspective. And for instance, also work with logistical companies because it doesn't make sense that everyone for a medical consultation drives themselves their own car to the hospital. I've calculated for 2015, 8.8 million first outpatient consultations a year. So that's back and forth. That's like 18 million. Um, the average distance for somebody in the Netherlands to the hospital is like 5.5 kilometers. So that's 91 million kilometers a year only for that aspect. And then we're talking about sustainability. I don't know. Maybe we should think about that. Uh, and sure enough, not everything is possible with elbow video consultation and stuff, but a lot of it, a lot of that is. Yeah, I, I agree. If you, if you look to um, to innovation as, with the GovLab, we help public sector organizations to be successful in innovation, and we mm -hmm. always say that like there needs to be, of course, a kind of strategy in place. So where do you actually want to go? Uh, you need to have like organized in a certain way. Um, there needs to be sponsorship from the top leadership. Can you reflect on that? Like, do you see, like, looking back at your own experience as an innovator, um, do you see those kind of 
things being important, do you say, well, some in some cases it was, in others it wasn't, or? Um, at random order, if you don't have a mandate, it's 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 a no-go area. Uh, you need the mandate of the upper top level in your organization, and yes, things do not only need to come top down; it also needs to get bottom up. But if there's no mandate at the top, you might as well just stop it because it doesn't work. Then they let you create some pilots, and once those pilots get become tangible and substantial, they would kill it. So that's that's one, I think. Second of all, we always talk about strategy. And I think strategy is important. But we, we, we really have to be mindful to not overdo it. Because in innovation, you could just bump on something that nobody ever could have imagined. And if it doesn't fit in your strategy, you could kind of sail just around it and leave it. I think it was Einstein. If you find, if you try to find solutions in the same place as the problems occurred, you'll find the same solutions. So strategy is fine, but it's more like on a top level, like we need to get more pa less patients in our facility and do more things remotely, or we need to down drill the burden of administrative uh, problems in healthcare, which is 40% already. That's fine. But other than that, Make sure that you've got this small little cell. It doesn't have to be a huge department or whatever that gets the authority and the mandate to also figure out silly stuff. Because in the end of the days, many of those silly inventions changed our life and history. So it's more about having like your moonshot in place than like really, okay, we need to go that way. It's yeah, but it's it's and and it's moonshot, but also down drilled into a couple of big chunks. Uh, but but don't try to to dissect those chunks totally because that's not going to work. Because we don't know everything, and the, and the guys and girls that are right that will write those strategies probably are not the ones that are using that technology or facility or interventions. So unless you write that strategy with the whole system in the room. In that case, I'm fine. That's no that's no longer a strategy. That's just that's just them doing. And if, if you look like because scaling is often a, a difficult thing. Um, oh, yeah. uh, so uh, we see like as governor, we see like loads of uh, pilots, experiments, etc. But as soon as it needs to come into scaling, yeah. we see that it's very difficult, or it's because of like kind of antibodies of the organization. Yeah, so innovation uh, autoimmune disease, I like to call it. Yeah, that's one. The other thing is that we often see is that um, in, in a lot of new innovations, you come up with kind of new, um, especially when it's done in ecosystems, uh, new governance models where actually the, the public and private party needs to own like the new product or service together. They don't know exactly how. So mm. uh, the funding mm. is like what you already said, that it's actually we are funding for the for the bigger uh, societal value, but me as a private company, do I actually want that? How is your, um, what, what are your lessons around scaling and, and when it was successful, but maybe also when, when you saw something die of which you thought, oh, that was a pity. I, I think all of the aspects that you just named are true, um, but the, the, the biggest one of all is actually really the not invented here syndrome each and every time over and over again. Uh, also in my role within Deloitte, but also prior to that, and 
my tenure with Interlogis for three days a week and the other two days I also travel the world with my my speaking uh, business. Everything already has been invented. It's already there, out there. But people in Amsterdam would say, oh, well, no, it's not invented in Amsterdam, just so we need to run it ourselves. And the same would be in in in, in, in other places. So for whatever reason, and maybe that's something that's human or that's in our culture, I don't know. And it's universal. It's not only in the Netherlands, it's everywhere. For whatever reason, people need to invent it themselves and otherwise it wouldn't work. And, and the other thing is to, if you invent it yourself and then your neighbor institution needs to adopt it, oh, that's a big thing because they were inventing it themselves. So this is where the government comes in, in my perspective on innovation, that once one or two or three, and I don't care, but a small amount of pilots on the same subject, on the same problem has been issued and has been successful, insurance companies and institutions should mandatory been forced to adopt it. Because that's at present also what makes innovation so expensive that everybody runs it the same again. And I don't think it makes sense to, you know, we, we can spend our dollars only once. And it does make sense that somebody in India does exactly the same as somebody in Utrecht or in, in Maastricht or whatever. And that is what is happening. And and uh, uh, I was involved in the in the research, the customer review survey of Deloitte, the global ones on healthcare, where we've seen many, many, many instances of projects and, and implementations of exactly the same thing worldwide. And then people say, oh, I didn't know that. Go out, stick your nose out of the door and sniff what's happening. Um, and embrace it. Yeah, but that's, you know, and, and, and there's one of the problems, so to speak, that there's this so-called commercial aspect of healthcare and, uh, and market working and stuff like that, that, that there's a market in healthcare that people needs to need to identify and to, gosh, it's healthcare. It should be universal, just like having your data should be a, a should, should be constitutional rights, not blocked or issued or granted by somebody. It's about you. It's about healthcare. I'm fine with a market about lighting or tires of cars or whatever, but health? No, no. not really. It, uh, up until now, it never has proven to work. It has proven to make things expen more expensive, has proven to make sure that some people don't have access to it. The number of people in the U.S. that get broke due to their medical bills is insane. And some of the procedures that we see in the Netherlands, for instance, would cost in the Netherlands 750 euros or well, 700 bucks in, in U.S. dollars. That would amount as much as 35,000 U.S. dollars in the US. And from the latest graphs that I've seen, I didn't see the US on that top level in terms of best healthcare delivered. It's just the other way around. I'm not bashing the US. It's more like this market thinking is fine from one end for the stuff that you use for it, like the, the technology and the, and the data analytics. But as far as it goes in terms of delivering healthcare, I, I, I don't think that, that I, I think we should stop. So maybe the main conclusion of our conversation is that the user slash patient slash just citizen uh, should be more at the heart of healthcare as well as innovation. 
Yeah, I would like to add to that that we need to have the shift to come from healthcare to health. You know, it was in the like 4,000 years ago already that the physician of the Chinese emperor got paid for each and every day that the Chinese emperor wasn't sick. That's totally different than the fee-for-service model that we got right now. So maybe that's an interesting one as well. Maybe nice to discover that one for our next uh, podcast together. I would like to thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. And, um, well, good luck with changing your healthcare to health. Our healthcare to health. Our healthcare to health. Thank you, Daniel. And uh, we speak soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you found it inspiring. Don't forget to rate us so we can learn what we need to do better in the future. And of course, if you like the podcast, please share. Follow us as we will publish more inspiring stories on public sector innovation soon. We wish you a great day. And if you want to join the conversation, please visit our website on www.deloitte.nl.